manage them properly, riparian areas can be a savings account that you can tap into during a dry year. There are plenty of good reasons for fencing off bodies of water on your land, like giving the biodiversity that's so important for production a boost, or keeping water clean for livestock so you get the gains you need. But that strip of greenery adjacent to a wetland can sure be handy when your pasture just isn't growing or recovering the way you need it to to stay in business and avoid overgrazing. It's like your own ranch-grown backup plan for a drought. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're looking at riparian areas. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast, Getting Through Drought series, where we're exploring the best management practices that cow-calf producers in Alberta can put into action during or before a drought. Our series will do its best to explain how to implement these BMPs, how these BMPs can be effective against drought, and spotlight agriculture producers who have successfully implemented one or more of these BMPs. Over a dozen episodes, the series will cover topics such as grazing management, effects on soil conditions, moisture retention, animal stress reduction, and feed additives. This is our third installment of the series, and in this episode we talk to Dwayne Movald of Movald Ranches in Brazo County about riparian areas and mainly how they can come in handy during droughts. Dwayne is also a guy who's very active in the agriculture community, having been involved in West Central Forge Association and Alice Canada at different points of time. In fact, it was Nancy from Alice Canada who connected us with Dwayne in the first place. So big thank you to you, Nancy. Here's Dwayne explaining what they have going on at Movald Ranches just west of Breton. And if that name Breton sounds familiar to you, we interviewed one of the researchers at Breton Plots back in episode 21 perennial grains. Well, my name is Dwayne Movald. Um, I co-operate Movald Ranches uh, with my parents. We live west of the village of Breton. We're a mixed family farm uh, consisting of cow-calf operation. Uh, we raise purebred and commercial Semental cattle. We grow some cereal grains mostly for feed and rotational purposes to support the forage production side of our operation. Probably very similar to a lot of cow-calf operations. Next, I asked Dwayne about the environmental factors he has to work with at his ranch. Yeah, well, and I mean, it of course has been variable. I, I suppose over the years it always is, but you get your averages from somewhere, right? But exactly. right where we're at, pretty well, uh, you know, I would think a, a low average would be 18 to 20 inches up to 24 in a year. So that seems fairly substantial when you start to look at other areas in the province. But uh, that would be a time frame sometime in April until probably the end of October on a year. But I mean, uh, I mean, honestly, if a good year, like if you want to talk about ideal, would see, you know, that rain divided up in April, you start your April showers that bring May flowers and you could get four inches in April, say five inches of May and June, and then maybe three, four inches in July, and then some in August, and then it, it kind of slows down and, and you get a little bit for freeze up. But that's kind of an ideal situation. I guess if we lived in irrigation country, we could control it, but we, we deal with what we get. So right now it's dry. <laughs> We've got it. We've got, I think, um, in 2020, I have the rain gauge and stuff up in here, and, and we had over 28 inches to the 14th of August, and I quit recording it because I was just, it was getting depressed. We couldn't get any seeding done still, and it's the middle of August. Uh, oh, wow. All our grain silage land was underwater. 
fast forward to 2021, and it was the drought last year. I think we had six or seven inches, and now in 22, I think we've got just a hair less than that. Jeez. Yeah, and what uh, what kind of soils are you working with where you are? Gray wooded soils, and it's clay, basically, right? Uh, they're very uh, tight in their composition. When you think of clay, I mean, molders make stuff out of that. So, I mean, it can... When it's wet, you can move it around and then it gets hard as a rock. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying they're tight in, in their composition, but uh, it also very low in organic matter for the most part. The evolution of soils, like since this land was, was logged in the 20s, you know, 1900s to 1920s, big timber, a lot of spruce, then the poplar grew in. So then it was re-cleared for and homesteaded for farmland. Within that, there was also a stretch where a lot of forest fires went through, so it did burn a lot of the, the material and topsoil that was there. To utilize the cattle now uh, in you know a way where you can help you know revitalize that soil when it comes to adding components that are going to help with the growth of the plants, you know, organic matter, fiber. That's what we need mostly here, and and the nitrogen is extremely low. So you know the cows, uh, we do what we do with the cattle, and, and you know you you work your year, you sell your your crop of calves, and what you're left with is not always something that you see in the bank book, but it it's out there, right? And it's helping get that soil to a better state. I was quite surprised when Dwayne said he received about as much rainfall this year as he did in 2021. But it makes sense. I don't think we got much or any rain between July and September in 2022. Anyway, I asked Dwayne to describe the riparian areas on his land at this part right here. Well, the rip a riparian area, it's the green area along the natural water body stream or creek. So most of the riparian areas on our operation are located throughout pastures and some of our hay fields. And uh, when it comes to like a animals or, or, or what else exists in there, the animals in those areas are abundant and, and they can range from bees to birds, fish, you know, wildlife of many different types are attracted to those areas for the water that gives them life, right? It's, and it does that to the many plants such as the berry bushes, nut trees and other types of trees and shrubs that are there and also offer those animals shelter. I like how Duane views riparian area protection as actually riparian area management, the same way we talk about pasture management. Here's Duane explaining how he manages his riparian areas. Thinking back, like since I, I've, I've done this my whole life on the family farm. So, I mean, since I was a youngster, I was out helping my father and his father work at, at doing, you know, what's going on on the farm. And, and, at times that uh, we were out fencing some of these areas. So being young and inquisitive, I'd watch and, and help. And, and I learned what and how they were setting up these fences and, and fencing off different areas to help manage the grasses for pasture. Like mm -hmm. move the different cow groups here or there. And the riparian areas that we had cordoned off and fenced grew back quicker, you know, and offer more options to manage them even only just a few years down the road. So at the time, I'm not sure we thought about the word protecting in areas as much as it was about let's manage 
this in a way we can get more growth coming back. I mean, it's kind of been there. We we did a lot of it with electric fencing in the day, right? Because uh, it was very quick to put up, economical to put up, and it would do the job, right? So right. what we've done now, we've transitioned that to more permanent barbed wire fencing to, to get the same effect and, and just done more of that, right? And, and so I guess that's kind of in a, in a nutshell what or how that whole thing is, is evolved. The main reason we wanted to get Dwayne on the podcast is we heard through the grapevine that he was one of those producers in 2021 who was pretty grateful for the riparian areas on his land. Here's Dwayne explaining why. I think one way you can protect the riparian area is by approaching it in a pretty simplistic way, and that is just to keep it intact. You know, those few short words summarize what needs to be done. And from there, their nature takes care of the rest. And, and one way to do that is to, to fence it off if you've got cattle in the area so you can regulate their movement. You can minimize the disturbance and keep it natural from a standpoint also of not bringing in invasive weeds and then that type of thing. So, you know, especially, say for instance, this past year, dry, a lot of feed moving around. So people are buying hay bales off the internet. They don't know where they've come from. Do you take that bale and roll it out down along your riparian area to feed your cows? Well, wow. think about that. What, you know, what are you, in, what are you potentially bringing into that area, right? So uh, just thinking ahead, uh, doing things like that and leaving it intact, I guess, would be the most basic thing you can do. So it makes sense. And Dwayne, I'm, I'm curious as well with um, fencing. Like, it sounds like you've done both. So like barbed wire as well as like temporary poly wire. Do you have like, I, I realize one's cheaper than the other, but like, do you have a recommendation? Like if you're going to do this, best to go with like four strands of barbed wire or you can get away with electric fencing or really depends on the context of your farm or ranch, I suppose. Yeah, well, I, I mean, when it comes to that, I think it, depending on the situation, but uh, one thing that is very beneficial with the electric fencing, it's it's extremely fast to put up. So like, you get into a situation where you're, which often farmers are, we're, we're, we're pushed up against time and the, and the wall and things have to get done in a hurry because the season's changing or what have you. You can bang up an electric fence temporary uh, for, uh, you know, quite an area, relatively cheap and fairly quick. So maybe that's a way to get things started, right? You, you at least can get that done. And then if it didn't work, you know, you can move it easily. Uh, you, can, you can configure it in a way that might be better, you know, and so there's a lot of advantages to that compared to permanent fencing. But if you can get an area that basically you want to keep it solidified, everything works, you got gates in there where you need the gates and don't have to move the gates to, to allow for better movement if the stuff gets in and out, right? Uh, then, you know, maybe work towards putting it in more permanently. So originally I wanted to ask you, like, did taking acres out of production to protect a a riparian area negatively impact your ranch, but it's not really taking acres out of production, is it? Uh, <laughs> no, no, it, it isn't. It's uh, like when you bring up that concept of protecting a riparian area and, and, what, and, and think about that in a matter of taking it out of production. What you are doing as a land steward, realistically, you're changing the way in which you are managing that piece of land. So, so now that area will be producing more of other things in, in that not only benefit some of the adjoining pieces of land, but they also are building resilience into your operation by making that, say, a riparian area more functional 
for something like a short and productive grazing window that otherwise might not be there, right? And and so when you break it all down, there, there's no negative financial impact to keeping an area intact like that intact more than it was prior. I also asked Dwayne if he had any nutritional concerns when it came to grazing riparian areas. And the poem that neither Dwayne nor myself could remember during the interview is, Sedges have edges, rushes are round, and grasses have knees that bend to the ground. I promise this is going to make sense in about 30 seconds. Well, this year we are in has been a very dry one, but as was the summer of 21, the drought, I guess it was it was termed as, right? And in those conditions, it's a real challenge to keep the cattle producing to the level they need to be to be sustainable and profitable. When it gets down to our Alice project, which is a riparian area fencing project, I mean, last year, this year, it's just an oasis down there in the dry and dusty conditions of the last two years, right? And nah. going through what, what took place down there and what still is, I mean, I have a, I really do have a love-hate relationship with our friends, the beavers. <laughs> they set up camp and down there in some sections of the creek and within that Alice project area, right? And they go cut the trees down and you've worked to keep the trees there and little buggers say they're part of the cycle so you got to remember that right but uh, you know there's water down there and so them little engineers know where the springs that are along that creek bank spill out into the creek and they utilize their instincts and skills to dam up the water in those critical areas right and you look at the effect of that while the trees and grasses that down there were flourishing where, where they could tap into that water. You know, in the, in the hot, dry, they, they could still survive, right? The fish had a place to survive to the next season. And if we needed it, we had water for the cattle. There was water down there where people, people didn't have water in places. All right. Did you wind up actually using it for watering your cattle or were you guys No, okay? we didn't. We thought if it come, we have a, a hay field up adjacent on one side and a pasture up adjacent on the other. So if we needed to, a pump and some hose and a trough that we're, we've got access to water out there, right? And we can get water to the cows if we need it. So we didn't actually, last year was so dry and in, except for along the creek, the riparian areas, the trees and the grasses stayed very lush, but up along the banks, uh, the grass was just bone dry and brown. So yeah. last year, we didn't even put any cattle in on it. This year, well, a fence got knocked down in the summertime, and there was about 12 heifers in there for a couple of days. <laughs> anyway, got that repaired and out. So it's still sitting this year. If we're going to use that area, we use it for a short time in the fall to got, let let some cattle in there just to, to nip the, the dry stuff off and then, and, and then close them back out. But I mean, you didn't take it out of production. You changed the way you, you managed it. And in really stressful situations, uh, weather-wise, it, it is. It's way more resilient. I'm assuming the riparian area is a pretty ecologically sensitive area. And since it's not used to too much hoof action, the soil compaction could potentially be an issue, I'm assuming. I'm just kind of wondering, like, yeah, how do you manage a riparian area versus how you would manage just your regular paddock or, or if there is a difference at all? I mean, I think monitoring what's going on, uh, like if it's extremely wet, you wouldn't want stuff to be in there because, yeah, I mean, cows, you know, are heavy. They, they sink into the ground, so it can be compaction issues or hummocking is another term along wet areas that takes place from the foot action. 
right? Not, yeah. When it's really dry, you know, you don't get that same uh, effect. Not just having a date on the calendar, we're going to put this here for between this day and this day. You know, you got to visually go out, inspect. If it's, if it's drier, you can put them in and not have that effect. If it's really wet, well, maybe you don't, you don't put them in there, right? So yeah. it, it's similar to the way you would manage a paddock in other areas. We did field turnips for pasture on different occasions, and, and it was the same principle there. If it was really wet, you didn't want the cattle in there because they just basically wrecked the field and they didn't have nothing to eat after. They sink in up to their knees, right? They muck it all up. And so you have to always have options to... to to get around that, which is like an adjacent good sodded pasture. It got wet. We put the, the cattle on the pasture, the, the old sod, and then when it got dry, we turn them on the turnip patch. So same thing with something like a riparian area, you know, just that monitoring and, and ensuring that it's it's a good time to utilize it. Well, of course, right along the water course, it's more wet type of grasses. You know, yeah. sedges have edges. Uh, I've learned a poem from the cows and fish people. Sedges and vesh. Rushes around. Okay, I'll have to think on that, Derek. But anyway, there's a way to... to <laughs> there's an easy way to remember the types of grasses that can grow around, uh, you know, riparian areas. Yeah, the cattle wouldn't go so much for that stuff anyway. Like when, when slough grass, for instance, gets more mature, it, you know, it gets as sharp edges. It's not as palatable. But they will pick at the, the, at the young grasses that are, you know, maybe up the bank eat through that type of stuff. So is it an extremely highly nutrient-dense product? No, it's grass. So there again, you know, you think about that. If you want to use that, you're you're maybe using that type of a grass for mature dry cows, um, you know, not young growing stock and things like that, you know, to best utilize it. At this point in the interview, me and Dwayne started talking about some of the things governments can do and some of the decisions our communities need to make when it comes to protecting riparian areas and wetlands. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and there is different things that have, have been uh, divvied out in the past like from, uh, you know, different levels of government. Our province, uh, you know, has funding put towards different projects, the, the Modesty Creek Basin, which is you know, where our land basically flows into a creek that or all the tributaries flow into a creek that feeds the Modeste and then that heads down to the North Saskatchewan River, right? So with doing the work that is being done on the North Saskatchewan through the North Saskatchewan Watershed Alliance, they noticed things. So the government did has put money provincially into projects to help with flood mitigation, things like our Alice program that, you know, when you get the trees and the grass growing up, you know, substantially, it, it slows the water flow down. So in extreme weather events, it's, it's beneficial. In dry weather events, it's beneficial. I mean, there is certain things that have been put in place. They could do more. And I think one of the best ways for that to happen is first just for them to recognize the importance, you know, and then stand behind that by living up to the principles of what those areas need to exist. So you know, that means stopping any development in those areas and leaving them in their natural state. Don't go ripping it up, building on it or developing in it, right? Uh, that's going to be detrimental to it. I, I guess I think that way, you know, because I don't think they, they always think about the bigger environmental picture that is at play. Right. Like we, 
And and I say that because we have our own local situation that is exactly that. And it does involve our Alice Project and Riparian area. Like our, our county is proposing putting funds towards putting a roadway through that. And it's contemplating expropriating portions of the Alice Project to do so. So you can't have this and then go, you know, take it away and, and redevelop it for a different purpose. I mean, you've got to do what you say and say what you do, right? You So I just say stay out. But you know, roads can be placed in a variety of areas and the importance of the benefits of those sensitive areas that are provided, like our Alice project, need to be held to a higher standard, you know, by, by all governments. And to wrap things up, as always, some words of advice from Dwayne for the next time, because we all know that there will be a next time for the next time you're faced with a drought. There's an old adage that it goes like this, like, when it comes to ranching the cattle and you can't buy your way out of a drought and that holds true like i think farmers for the most part are very optimistic but last year was dry so we think well next year will be way way better so we get to this year it's dry like you you just never know what the next year is going to bring right if you need to make tough decisions you you got to get all the information you can so you can make an informed decision i think that's that's one thing that is a solid if it's dry you move early on in a dry cycle to set yourself up the way you think to that you need to be to have something tangible when that cycle changes and and it will but you get into situations like that and and you are making tough decisions and and you get to a point i guess there's no need to second guess yourself once you've decided a direction for a person to constantly monitor and note how you're doing and then adjust as necessary as you know things are changing all the time so no need trying to save a whole bunch of extra cows to have a few extra calves when you don't have the feed for them right so <laughs> it's you you try to manage what you have when you're in a situation like that looking backwards you're always better off to sell early if you got to sell stuff when it comes to cattle in them situations get it done early and you might not get as much as you thought but you're going to get a lot more than recoup then if you hang on and hang on and hang on and then it it just gets to a point everybody starts to liquidate and then you know the prices slide so when it comes to economics doing things like that and i think when you're in a situation like a dry spell uh, connect with other farmers right and just mentally talk about what you're doing it helps to chat with people not only to get other ideas but to just get support to to stay in it good thanks the that's the questions I had, but is there anything else you want to, or something you feel needs to be said about the subject at hand? Farming has always evolved. And, and when I look at our local area, you know, when I was a kid, you never got out of your rubber boots most of the summer. It was always wet. Your, your hay got rained on multiple times before you could ever get it bailed. Uh, so we evolved to more silages and things where we could get better quality. And I think things even with the way the weather cycle is now, it, it is drying out. So I think we all have to just always look at what options are out there to, you know, maximize what you do have. And in a drought conditions dry, change your management to best suit that cycle. If we get moisture that, you know, is in excess again, well, then you have to deal with that. But I mean, one thing that is paramount i guess when you have livestock it's feed so to always focus on that try to get enough banked up which can be really hard i mean that that type of thing i guess if you're in the livestock business you kind of know but for people that are getting into it and maybe don't know 
uh, a few things like that to think about, you know, as you manage your operation and, and go throughout your year. We hope you enjoyed our third installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We've got a few more episodes from the series coming your way soon. In the meantime, you might want to listen to our series on farming with biodiversity, so episodes three, four, and five. They're some of the first episodes we did, so I have to admit the production quality isn't that great, but there's still some gems of information in those earlier episodes. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Cheyenne Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by Results Driven Agriculture Research, or RDAR. This particular episode was done in partnership with Young Agrarians. My parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary. That means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.